Happy New Year for us entering into 2021. Uh, obviously, for many of us, 2021 uh, couldn't get here quick enough. Um, and as Kelly just mentioned, that the reality is, is that there's not much difference between 11.59 on December 31st, 2020 and 12 a.m. on January 1st, uh, 2021. But the truth is, it marks kind of a, a new season or kind of an anticipated season of hope. And that's one of the things that we, we have. If you think kind of back for a minute to the last year and you think back to 2020, the truth is, is that 2020 has been for many probably one of the most unique years of their life, along with a, a year that was kind of full of challenges. So you think about a couple things for us, we think about together, kind of COVID-19 and the resulting changes to, to school and to work. We think about church changes, both to our, our staff this past year, as well as because of COVID, the way that we gather, the way that we minister, the way that we, we do ministry. We think about the racial unrest that has existed in our nation. We think about the violent protests. And if those kind of weren't by themselves enough, we, we had another season of wildfires. Not one this time, but two. On top of that, everybody has some different circumstances, right, that are personal, that they may be walking through. And so when we look at 2020, it's very easy to look back and to to see the varying level of trials that exist, and yet at the same time also look at 2020 with a level of disdain, with a level of, of just, I just need to get out of this, right? Let's just have a new beginning. Let's restart. And you see those memes all over you know, Facebook and over social media that are talking about what 2020 looked like at the beginning and what it, and it finished, you know, and how it finished things went. And, and none of them are positive, right? I mean, they're all speaking to the the dumpster fire that took place, you know, in 2020, right? Well, the question for us this morning is we kind of press back into the new year, and this morning my hope is that as we look at Scripture is that we, we see both the value of 2020 and we see how God is leading us in 2021. That God still is working out His purpose, no matter how frustrating or how challenging something may be that God is working his purpose both for his people and for his creation. Next week we'll, we'll return to our series in the book of Acts, but this week I think it's important for us to really consider this question. Does 2020 have any redeeming value? And how does 2020 inform our purpose as followers of Christ in 2021. You see, as Christ's church, too often our trials are downplayed in the name of God's sovereignty or in some form of, of national judgment. And it becomes easy as believers to distance ourselves from the purpose of trials and fail to wrestle with who God has called us to be as His people. Our current trials, though, are actually opportunities for God to both make Himself known and for us to know Him as well as make Him more known. 
And so God has a purpose in our trials. God has a purpose in 2020. And Scripture speaks to those purposes. So let's go ahead. We're going to be coming from 1 Peter 4 today, verses 12 through 19. And this is what it says. It says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that You would take Your Word this morning and that You would implant it on our heart. God, humble us this morning. Allow us to see the truth of your call, the truth that you've called us to, and allow us to hear with open hearts this morning. Lord, grow us and be glorified through our trials. And Lord, may we have the confidence that your Spirit rests upon us today. May it be your Spirit who moves in power this morning. Through me, in us, and God, may our ears be ones that hear your voice. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. The truth about this passage is is simple. Trials allow God to grow our faith and expose His glory to the believer and unbeliever alike. Trials allow God to grow our faith and expose His glory to the believer and unbeliever alike. Trials for growth and for glory. That's what our trials are about. Our trials are about growth and glory. Now, Peter here in First Peter is writing to those Christians who are in northern Asian Minor. It's what's today modern Turkey. And in First Peter four verses three through four, we're told that they were experiencing trials and suffering because of their faith. It says this: For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when they, when, 
when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. So these believers are facing trials because they're actually looking different than the rest of the world. They're choosing to walk in righteousness when the world is walking in this debauchery or this sin. And we're told that they're being maligned for it. They're being called out for it as different, as separate. And so then, verse 12 begins, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon to test you. Now, notice the purpose of trials in this passage, right? For, for many of us, the idea of trials is one that is pretty simple. Endure it, get through it, never do it again, right? It's just, we don't want any part of it at all. We want to get the heck away from it. We want to run. <coughs> and in a culture that is really idolizes comfort, it's very easy to, to forget really what the trial is for. But we're told here, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. So the purpose of trials is growing in faith for God's glory. The purpose of our trials is for growing in faith for God's glory. It's not just that I, quote-unquote, might live better or do something better or in some way be a, a better Christian. Our spiritual growth is for the glory of God. It's that we might represent the truth of God. And trials are one of the ways that God uses in the life of the believer to grow us in faith for His glory. You see, God wants to reveal the condition of our hearts and ultimately teach us to trust completely in Him. Stephen Cole, the pastor of Flagstaff Christian Fellowship, puts it this way, most of us flatter ourselves into thinking that we're doing reasonably well in our Christian life and that we don't need any intense trials to test our faith. But we don't know ourselves, the depth of our sin, the extent of our self-trust, the shallowness of our joy. So the Lord graciously sends trials to test our faith. I love that. That those, those trials are actually part of testing of our faith. God's using that to grow us, to expose. Now, some trials we'll see in this passage are a result of our own sin, and that's not the kind of trials that he's necessarily talking about. And some trials are a result of, as we know, spiritual warfare. We know that Scripture says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principality. But there are other trials that God allows for us to experience and in the end, all trials end up having this purpose, which is to grow our faith for His glory. So let's take a look here at what Peter says really are the keys to growing in faith and glorifying God during trials. 2020 has been a year for many of trial. It can look different for many. And he says here, here are some of the keys to growing in faith and glorifying God during trials. So 2020 then becomes redeemable because God says that He has a purpose for it. 2021, we're then empowered to see through the Spirit how God might lead us 
and call us to move forward. So if the first thing he says is, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. We're to expect trials. The believer is to expect trials, plain and simple. There needs to be an expectation that they will rise. And he says, don't be surprised by it. Now, 2 Timothy 3.12 affirms this when it says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's not a might or a maybe. It is a fact. That's what he's saying. If you choose to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. Now, most of us want to read those passages and it's not the passage we want to use when we want to share with people about faith, right? I mean, reality is, come to Jesus, be persecuted, right? But in essence, what he's saying is, is that yes, we need to expect that because Christ looks different from the world, there will be persecution in the life of the believer who looks different than the world and looks like Christ. And so we're to expect those trials. Now Peter uses this phrase in an interesting way. He uses the word fiery trial here. And there's really two reasons. The first has to do with the fact of what's taking place in Rome. First Peter is written in the mid-60s A.D., Around this time, in 64 A.D., the fire of Rome uh, destroyed the city, and the ruler Nero was the emperor of Rome. Nero is considered to be one of the most brutal leaders of Rome, specifically brutal towards Christians. When Nero was blamed for the fire and not stopping the fire, he turned that blame from himself onto the Christians and made the Christians a scapegoat for the burning of the city. Nero was most famous for actually taking Christians and those who confessed to be followers of Christ and rolling them in oil, lighting them on fire, and using them as lanterns for parties. There was a direct understanding to the audience that Peter was writing of what a fiery trial might look like. The other reason that he uses those words is that the Greek word for fiery is the word perosis. And it literally means burning, and it refers to burning of metals which are roasted and reduced. The impurities are, are burned out of it, taken out of it. And it's designed to break you down and to reveal impurities and to make you pure. So this example of fiery trials is real. It's one that they would have understood that there was going to be pain in this suffering. And he was saying, even in the midst of this, God is present with you. Even in the midst of this, God has still called you to a purpose. Even in the midst of this, God is using you as a witness. In the same way, he's saying, listen, these trials are to be a refining fire. You ever think about that worship song, Refiner's Fire? Ever sung it as you prayed it? Entirely different. It's easy to gloss over words, but when you pray that song, 
What you're asking God to do is to put you into the refiner's fire. To take out the impurities that are present in your life. And I, and I wonder sometimes if we're surprised, if all of a sudden we become completely surprised by the, 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 the prayer or the, the, the effects on our life of these trials when in fact what we've been praying all along is that God would do this. That God would refine us. I, I know in my own life there was a time where I can look back and say specifically there were some things that I was praying for God to do in my life. And how God answered that through trial was not how I was expecting. And I found myself periodically praying, God, would you just work in these things in my life? Can you show me a bit more of yourself? But please, please don't take me through that again. Like, I found myself even being fearful to pray. And what that was doing was minimizing the fact that what God was doing was actually answering prayer, working in my life, bringing it out. And so it was the aspect of being able to say, God, whatever it takes, make me your servant. So we need to expect trials. You see, as those early Christians were growing in their faith and desiring to walk in His righteousness, they faced persecution, and the trials were a direct result of God's movement in their life. John MacArthur puts it this way. He says, don't be surprised when God puts you in the furnace to melt you down. That's what God does in trials. He's melting us down to take out those, those, those impurities. And we're to expect that. You ever get startled and caught off guard and don't really know what to say? Ever been in one of those moments where somebody says something to you and you're so caught off guard you don't even know how to respond? Right? You're totally unprepared. You're like, if I had known that was coming, I could have prepared for it, but I had nothing, right? And those of us that are more talkers, when it happens to us, it's even like this bigger like gap. People are like, man, he was like speechless and he's always full of words, right? That's what happens when we don't expect trials in our life. We don't meet them well. And God's saying, expect them. Know that they exist. Know that God's going to put you through them to grow you. And He's going to put you through them for His glory. Because not every trial is about you. But it's about His glory. About Him being seen. You see, as a church, we need to expect that trials will arise when we're seeking to participate in gathering on Sunday mornings. There will be bat barriers. Sitting at home, being a part of an online service, there will be barriers that will try to take your attention away from gathering with the saints. There will be barriers on Sunday mornings and gathering in presence. We need to expect that there will be barriers to discipleship groups and those evenings or those days when the discipleship group, there are going to be things that might fight for that attention. We need to expect that there will be opposition and trials that come when we begin serving the Lord in different ways of ministry and through outreach. And as followers of Christ, we need to remind one another to expect trials and to understand what those trials really are and the purpose of those trials. It's why we need to walk side by side. 
One of the greatest concerns that I have for us as a church in COVID-19 is that we don't fully understand that our lives are actually not our own. That the body of Christ is to be involved with one another's lives, is to speak truth in love to one another, is to come alongside and bear up with one another. And we don't get the freedom to say, your life is not my business. The reality is God has called us to live together. See, this fire that he's being spoken of, Peter actually reveals in 1 Peter 1, 6-7, when he says, "Is In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ." These trials are actually testing the genuineness of our faith, the depth of our faith. For whose glory? God's glory. That we might be able to praise and give thanksgiving and honor because Jesus is being known. The second aspect then of growing in our faith and and demonstrating this glory of God is to rejoice continually. Rejoice continually. The first is to expect trials. The second is to rejoice continually. He says, but rejoice insofar as you share sufferings or Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of God and of God rests upon you. Now think about here. God's not saying that you need to rejoice for being lit on fire. Okay, This is not some sort of kind of sadistic God who is saying, yeah, I want you just to sing praises and rejoice because you're on fire. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is is that you can rejoice because of what God is doing and who God is. This word in Greek for sharing in the sufferings of Christ, this word share is koinoneo, which literally means to come in communion or fellowship with. See, through trials, God is actually drawing us closer to Him. Talk to people who have been through intense trial, and one of the things that they will share with you is the fact that the Lord, there's a closeness with the Lord because the dependency upon the Lord is the only one they have to depend on in those moments. Visiting with Mark the three weeks prior to his his passing, one of the things that he wanted to share and shared with us in that moment was simple. And he said, I, I still I still love the Lord and He is so good. Now the world looks at that and goes, gosh, I don't get it. But we can rejoice because God is working in our heart. He's actually drawing us closer to Him and it's through trials that we experience this pure communion with the Lord. This undistracted communion that we only find when we're left with all hope being only in Him. The trial is actually a gift. It's a gift. See, we can pray and we can read God's Word, which will all help us grow in intimacy with Christ. 
but it's in our trials that we often grow in our closeness and we experience the personal hand of God touching us and caring us. One pastor puts it this way. He says, Christians can rejoice that the sufferings they face in this life are the worst that they will ever face throughout all eternity. Have you ever thought about that? It doesn't get worse than this for the believer in Christ. That's an awesome thing. It's all better. It only gets better. So in this life, the trials of the believer are the worst they will ever get. But for those who don't know Jesus, it's the best that they will ever experience. And that's the call that God's given us. That's the call. That's why it's so important that we are displaying and demonstrating God's glory in our life, making Christ known. Because apart from Jesus, these are the best, the lightest suffering that they will ever experience. There's an old hymn that was written by John Newton. John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. But this is a much lesser known hymn. And the hymn is entitled, I Ask the Lord That I Might Grow. And I want you to listen to these words for a minute. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace. Might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. "'Twas he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer, but has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hoped that in some favored hour at once he'd answer my request, and by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart, and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe, crossed all the fair designs I schemed, humbled my heart, and laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find thy all in me. What an awesome, awesome way to put that. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set me free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find thy all in me. What is the purpose of God using those trials to grow us? But we can rejoice knowing that he's growing us and God is drawing us closer to him. Now with that, 
Suffering is also an opportunity, therefore, for God to show his power, for the Spirit to show his power. And so we can rejoice because through our suffering, the Spirit is actually revealing his power. In the life of the unbeliever, there's an unexplainable peace. This is seen actually in Acts 5.41 when the, the apostles were beaten by the Jewish council and they were instructed to go out and never proclaim the gospel. And it says that they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. There's a joy in their heart, not because they they loved being beaten, but because they were counted worthy to be dishonored for the name of Jesus. So when it comes to trial and growing in trials and revealing God's glory, we're to expect trials and we're to rejoice continuously. And next, we're to examine our life. We're to actually examine our life It says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let let him glorify God in that name. You see, too often the enemy gets credit for our trials when in reality our suffering is a result of our own sin. And he's saying, listen, one of the things that we do need to do in the midst of trials is just take stock, is examine ourselves. It does not mean that trials come because we have sin in our life. There are plenty of trials that we see in this passage that come precisely because of the opposite. But we do need to examine ourselves. We need to examine our life. We need to, to make sure that our suffering is not the result of our natural consequences of sin or sinful choices. We need to deal with things like fear of man and fear of approval. He says here to not be ashamed for Christ. Notice this. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Christians were experiencing such persecution that to be called a Christian became an honor in Christ. when we lose sight that what God is calling us to do in the midst of trials is that trials is an opportunity to examine our own lives. This past year should be an opportunity for us to examine, God, what are you putting out of my life? What are you purifying out of us? Is there sin that you want to deal with? Are the things that I need to hand to God Vernon Brewer, a a pastor and survivor of significant cancer put it this way. He said, circumstances don't make us what we are. They simply reveal what we are. And God, I have found from my own personal life, will not change the circumstances in our lives until the circumstance changes our lives. Love that. Until it changes our lives. So if all we've done with 2020 is to try to get out of it into 2021, we've missed what God's doing. We've missed what God has for us, both as individuals, as individual followers of Christ, and as his church. And that brings us then to, to verse 17 and 18. 
Expect trials. Rejoice continuously. Examine your life. And then keep a missional and eternal perspective. Keep a missional and eternal perspective. Notice what he says, verse 17 and 18. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? You see, the word Christian was initially used as a derogatory name. And as we mentioned a minute ago, the Christian... That name was an honor, but it was an honor because in the midst of this this persecution, there was a recognition that God was using them for His glory. Notice here that we're actually called to reveal the gospel to the world. He speaks specifically about the fact of the lost and the saved. And if the lost, or excuse me, if the saved are to experience trials which are fiery on this earth, how much worse is it those who are experiencing the wrath of God? And so a trial is actually to help us be reminded that our focus is to be missional and eternal. Not focused on our comfort here, but focused on the gospel of Christ and the proclamation of that gospel and that there is a world in desperate need of Jesus. See, the suffering we experience on earth is temporary, but God judges His household because His church brings the ones who proclaim the gospel to the world. I've heard lots of different varying things about are the end times near? Is God's judgment near upon His nation and upon His world? the ones who are primarily talking about that are those who are followers of Christ. And if God is to judge His world, His creation, and if God is bringing judgment upon His land, as followers of Christ, we better be ready to take stock because God says judgment begins with the household of God. We don't get the freedom to look out there and go, man, this world's going to hell in a handbasket really quick. What it should point us to is, God, what are you trying to do with your church because you're actually purifying and purging and, and working through and refining your church? And if we can understand that our trials need to be focused on the missional aspects, that we can see God's power in suffering as opportunities to proclaim the gospel in the ways that God has called us to. Do we have an eternal perspective That this life is not the finality, but that Christ and an attorney with Him is the infinite life that we desire. One pastor puts it this way. He says, right now God's purging, purifying His church. So when you suffer for righteousness' sake, it is God's purging, God's purifying, God's testing. And I'm telling you, when you look at the church that has been purged, and you look at the church that has been tested, and you look at the church that's been persecuted, you find the pure church, do you not? So look at your persecution. See it for what it is. Is it God beginning the judgment at the household which he loves, and the beginning the purging of his judgment during this age? 
You see, before the full final judgment comes, the church has to evangelize the world, and in order to be effective in evangelizing the world, the church must be purged from sin, the true separated from the false, and the carnal cleansed or removed. This past year has been an opportunity to actually really identify what it is that we see as followers of Christ. Have we really been the church? Questions like, have you reached out to people even though we're not gathering? Have you faithfully cared for people even though we're not gathering? Has there been more than just looking out and feeling like a consumer? What am I getting from the church? Or has it been an intentional effort to continue to minister as his saints to one another? Our focus needs to be missional. We need to be a people who are being pulled out of our comfort zone and pulled into his mission with an eternal perspective. And then finally, Expect trials, rejoice continuously, examine your life, keep a missional and eternal perspective, and then finally, the fifth one, commit to God and His faithfulness in obeying His will. Commit to God and His faithfulness in obeying His will. Verse 19 says, Therefore those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in doing what is right. The creator of the world is faithful in caring for you as you fulfill his will in your life. In the end, it will be God's good will and faithfulness which will be made known to us and those watching as we entrust ourselves completely to him. I want to ask you a very honest question. Who's the loudest voice in your right right now? In your life, who is the loudest voice currently? Because COVID-19 has been such a polarizing issue, there are times that we don't speak honestly about it. But we honestly need to deal with this question because it is the trial that is set before us as people and as his church. Whose voice is loudest? Is it the medical director's voices that are loudest? Is it the politicians that are saying masks are worthless? Is it your own personal preferences that you want to stay safe or that you want to kind of blow off, just say, listen to whatever happens, happens? What voices are loudest to you? Because the loudest voice that God has given us is his own. And there are times that when we commit to God's will, that God will call us into situations which are unsafe. It does not mean that we live reckless lives, and it does not mean that we push off authority, and it does not mean that we also at the same point disrespect and dishonor authority. But it does mean are we actively looking to hear from God? C.S. Lewis wrote an article in 1948 
was titled on living in an atomic age. And I think in some ways we could apply it to our current age. It begins this way. In one way we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I'm tempted to reply, why? As you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in the Viking Age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. Or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was ever invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics. But we still have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made, and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb come when it finds us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not held together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, a microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. This is not a call to recklessness. C.S. Lewis's writing is not a call to reckless living. It's simply a call to a reasonableness that is found in the Holy Spirit's leading. We may have different leanings and different bents, and God has called us to live inside of those things which He's led us in. God has given us government, God has given us our own minds. And it is easy to become consumed with this thing called COVID-19. And in doing so, shelter ourselves in a way that is being led not by the Spirit Himself, but either by our own personal preferences or the leading of those who lead our government or authority. We can do both. We can be both. We can be both wise and followers of Christ. We can be people who go to the sick and needy and still honor the intent of what God has put before us through authorities. Because God's mission has not changed for us. God's mission is still one where we go to the world and we share the gospel of Jesus with the world. We still minister to the sick and the needy. Many of you guys know Sarah, me. And one of the ways that this has lived out is very practically. Sarah's father didn't know the Lord. The call for Christ 
to be known trumped her own safety. The need for her father to hear the gospel in his last days trumped her own safety. God will call us into unsafe places, and we need to not look out and go, gosh, well, I'm being directed in this way and this way. No, God's voice needs to be the loudest. It doesn't mean that we're reckless, and one of the examples of that is that she had to suit up to go into the COVID ward after her father contracted COVID, and she had to go in. And there's still fear with that, fear that she might get it and contract it, but the need for the gospel was greater than her own personal safety. And as Christ's church, we need to remember that. Because we should be wise, and to the best of our abilities, we need to honor the authorities over us. But we need to remember that they're not the final rule. They're not the final voice. And they cannot be the loudest voice. And our own voices, our own feelings, our own desire for rights and constitution and everything else, they can't be the loudest voice. It has to be the Spirit. And if it's the Spirit, there are going to be times that God says, pull back, don't. There are going to be times that the Spirit says, yes, I need you to stay home. And there are going to be times that the Spirit says, actually, this is where my gospel trumps that the need for the gospel to be expressed and proclaimed. The truth is, is that I've seen more division in church over these positions around COVID than I have ever experienced around doctrinal issues. You think God's not judging his church? The church actually needs to learn how to live with one another in agreement, in unity, even when we disagree on certain situations or perspectives that are non-essential. We need to think the best of one another, not the worst of one another. And we need to understand that the Spirit does speak to us individually and that God may give me a confidence that he doesn't give to you or vice versa. How do we enter 2021? We enter 2021 by recognizing that the trials aren't over and they may just be beginning but God's voice is the loudest. And it is Him in which we entrust our souls, not humanity. And it is in Him that we listen to His leading and walk with Him, knowing that it is through trials that He's growing us for His glory. And that in that growth for His glory, He's drawing us close to Himself and that his mission has not changed. May that be our prayer this morning. That we are a wise people who don't become one-sided in listening to one voice or the other voice, but become a people who are focused on God's voice and God's leading. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the power of your word. And thank you that we can tackle these things together. God, may there be no disunity in your church because of peripheral things, outside things. But God, may we 
be unified together in the gospel of Christ and may we be an example of what it means to be unified even when we may personally disagree on specific matters that have nothing to do with the gospel. Lord God, may the gospel be the thing that reigns in our heart, that is paramount in our heart. And Lord God, may we see our trials not as something that we just need to get past, but may they be things that we rejoice in because of the work that you're doing, that we examine ourselves, that God, that we keep a missional and eternal perspective and that we commit ourselves to you, that you are the one who cares for us when we step out in faith and follow your will. God, we know it's hard at times when you call us to step out, whether that's going to the mission field or whether that's serving in a ministry. But we know, Lord, that we entrust ourselves to you. You are the one who cares for us, and you will fulfill your will in our life. And we ask this in your name. Amen.